0: Good morning and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this week we're going to be discussing Volume 11, Letter 52, and Volume 12, Letter 2. And these episodes happen to correspond with a wrap-up of Year 11 and also lymphatics. So let's get started. So, 11 years have gone by. What have we learned in the year 2021? 2021. COVID is truly remarkable, and also a major pain in the behind. Messaging and political policies have been mostly dysfunctional and persist in many places today. The vaccine effort has been nothing less than a heroic effort and saved countless lives. Media companies and the CDC continue to avoid the elephant in the room, which is poor quality nutrition, obesity, and metabolic self-induced arrangements are causing most deaths. Life continues for most of us while we mourn the loss of those who have succumbed to COVID. Getting significant COVID illness portends high death risk acutely and during the first year after recovery by a significant margin. Therefore, vaccination for these high-risk groups is the only chance for reducing this risk significantly. There's a mortality graph that's shown in the newsletter uh, by Manias et al., 2021, and you can click the link to see it. But functionally, that's what we talked about last year, COVID, 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 then then some more COVID. So let's flip into number two. Excess ingestion of fructose, fat, and refined carbohydrates in general are the main drivers of disease risk. Insulin resistance and obesity are becoming the main risk factors for all-cause mortality for metabolic diseases. We are finally understanding the why of this true-ism mechanistically. Immune activation from these processes are turning out to cause most pathology. We are truly mismatched between our individual genetics and the environment of modern American food, coupled to sedentary behavior, chronic mental and physical stress, and chemical exposures. The coming years will be a major test for the United States. Can we change policy to avoid the government-induced disease in humans by the subsidization of poor quality foods, And that's gonna be a big ask. Uh, School lunches clearly need to be changed. Can we finally change school nourishment to be actually nourishing and not fattening? You know, will our leaders finally listen to reason and promote health prevention over disease treatment? This has been an issue for a long time. We are very good at treating acute disease, car wrecks, surgeries, things of that nature. We are very bad as a medical system poorly set up to handle preventative disease issues. So helping people with their understandings of nourishment, stress, all of the above that actually have huge feed forward effects on disease reduction and disease avoidance. But time will tell. But this is where I stand right now telling you that we're not there. We have a lot of work to do. Number three. Parents continue to spend too much time and effort pleasing their children and their whims and not enough time spent with authoritative decision-making, especially with regard to food choices and sleep time. These decisions are leaving ch- children happy that they are getting their way, but physiologically dysfunctional and prone to disease. Roughly two out of three parents that I speak to states that their children will not eat healthy food. Therefore, they are giving processed foods, laden Uh, with all kinds of bad fats and bad sugars and low fiber, leading to constipation, obesity, worsening allergies, mental health challenges, and so much more. This is another very important place we need to work. We need to work on changing parenting beliefs and parenting behaviors. Number four, dairy is now officially the most irritating food to infants and children. We are seeing an incredible physiological problem from significant dairy consumption. Newborns and infants are colicky, eczematous, and prone to excess mucus production, driving ear infections and other disorders of the sinus tract. Toddlers and children who persist with milk protein intolerance are showing up with constipation, congestion, ear infections, skin rashes, including eczema or keratosis pilaris, generalized abdominal irritation, swollen tonsils, and more. The exact cause of the immune mechanism overreaction is still being debated, but the problem is here nonetheless. Avoiding dairy can be curative for those that are intolerant. We are not baby cows, so let it go. This is very important again. Number five, most Americans that are into contact with are good and wholesome people. The truth that we all know is that most people around the world are good and wholesome people. The narrative in the popular press remains division and negativity promotion, which has had a great negative toll on our children and society in general, mentally. The best decision that I made last year was to avoid the standard news feed that promoted discord and siloed my reading to science and positive sources of information. I promoted the same positive view of the world to my children and patients alike. This country is a beautiful place, and we all should cherish our gifts as we are given. Number six. Podcasting is is as enjoyable for me to produce as it is to listen to others that produce content. I appreciate the ability to further generate consumable health material in a format that many people seem to enjoy and some prefer over written text, as is the case of this audio-recorded newsletter. I plan to continue this endeavor for the foreseeable future. New topics will be a Medical Student Journal Club episode, more parenting guests, and some book reviews. Stay tuned. Number seven. The pandemic has really hurt the average child in the weight gain category, as well as the mental health state. These two issues are linked through the microbiome and hormonal, neurological, immunological pathways. We have to make a concerted effort to reduce poor quality food from entering our children's mouths through not purchasing them, not keeping them in the house, packing quality lunches for schools in place of the poor quality nourishment that is provided from the government. Number eight. School closures have dramatically increased the prevalence and exacerbated existing mental health issues such as anxiety and depression among students. School closures place vulnerable children at higher risk for food insecurity, lack of access to education and more abuse at home. More and more and more of these net negatives for our children will show up over time based on our political desire to rush to school closure. We need to remain hypervigilant to their needs over the coming years and vow to never repeat this process again regardless of the pandemic nature. Number nine, monitors of health are very valuable. CGMs or continuous glucose monitors are hopefully going to become commonplace to help us all understand our individual responses to certain food types with regard to glucose and insulin. Sleep monitors will help people understand the antecedent variables to poor sleep, i.e. stress, drugs, food, etc., or the lack thereof. All the tools coming online will be added values, And they will add to our narrative of understanding individualized healthcare medicine for each person. One caveat here is that over monitoring can become a psychosis in itself. So you have to be careful just like anything, but in general, these monitors are a net value add. Number 10, machine learning is coming now. And in the future, it's going to get better and better to help us provide better care for all children and adults. So for me, There have been 11 years of newsletter writing that have come to a close, and it's been absolutely enjoyable. I can tell you, year 12 is right around the corner, and I love this process of disseminating information, and I appreciate you, the reader, for reading or listening in this case. Section 2, exercise after concussion. What is the newest data? After a significant concussion, new data is showing us that exercising after the injury, as long as the symptoms do not worsen, is associated with the best outcomes. Aerobic exercise that is mild to modern intensity like running or biking that does not trigger a worsening of symptoms will enhance metabolic and immune function that aid in the healing process. I also would add in omega-3 fatty acids as fish oil here as well. The authors state this multicenter study found that early treatment with sub-symptom threshold aerobic exercise safely speeds recovery from symptom-related concussion and reduces the risk for persistent post-concussive symptoms, an important result given the impact of delayed recovery on quality of life of the adolescent. Adherence was good, and there were no adverse events from this non-pharmacological treatment. These results suggest that physicians should not only permit but consider prescribing early symptom uh, threshold physical activity to adolescents as treatment for sport-related concussion and to reduce the risk of persistent post-concussive symptoms, end quote. This comes to us from Letty et al. 2021. They noted a seven-day reduction in return to full recovery. They also noted the post-concussion symptoms after a month were 9% in the exercise group and 31% in the stretch and control group. There's an FDA-approved concussion rapid eye test uh, for game time events called Sync Thinks I Sync. the company looked over six, look at, looked at over 1,600 teenagers and adults over a one-year period. They used deep learning to make judgments based on visual function changes from normal. This data point is used along with other sideline decision tools to make a better, more objective decision to return to play. These are useful. So the last thing I just want to say on this point is. You know, returning to activity is a great idea if you have no worsening symptoms, but really also consider an anti-inflammatory diet to reduce inflammation in the body and primarily adding in fish oil, omega-3 fats, which contain resolves and protectants these specific chemicals that when they are inside the brain will help reduce inflammation post-injury. And the data there is very strong and I highly encourage people to, to talk to their provider about dosing fish oil post-concussive injury. Section three, after 11 years of work, reading and learning for the spa newsletter, I have come to a broad conclusion. We are in constant flux in health. The variables to health are vast and changing real time. This puts us in a state of constant vigilance for change and the needs to change are in order to adapt to our environment. I've thoroughly enjoyed the process of gathering and presenting this data and information to you in a usable and understandable form. COVID has been an extreme example of this process. I would have never dreamed in, in, in any way, shape, or form that I've written 52 newsletters on one topic. It's quite amazing. But I want to take this moment to thank you all for reading, learning, and being a part of the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Family. It is truly my pleasure to be a part of your lives. Now let's switch over to volume 12, letter number two, which is about lymphatics. So the free thought on this one is keeping the human metabolic system clean is paramount to avoiding excessive tissue damage from the toxins. This week on the podcast, I did an episode called Putting It All Together Number Two, where I sat down and spoke to the most recent four speakers, guest speakers regarding maternal child health and what were the gleaned perspectives that they gave us. So first one was Dr. Uh, Kirstie Agard looking at maternal health specifically and what nutrition has uh, downstream effects on pregnancy. And then we spoke to Dr. Tracy Shafazada, and she was discussing um, microbes specifically present in the baby's gut that are involved in metabolizing human breast milk and the downstream effects of the benefit if you have the correct microbes. And then we switched over to Dr. E.A. Quinn, where we looked at breast milk and everything related to breast milk, from its alterations due to changing environments to how breast milk specifically helps a human long term. And finally, with Lily Nichols, a nutritionist, who gave us a long detailed understanding of what foods would make the most sense during pregnancy to help us all out. So you can listen to that podcast on the uh, Apple podcast feed or as well through Amazon or Audible. And I hope you enjoy it. But these are you know, discussions that lay important foundations to build on our health literacy, specifically as it comes to maternal health, which lays the foundations for a child's best health. So for me, this is always one of the most important conversations that we should have. Um, the show is also a way for folks that are on the go to get the benefit of all four of the podcasts without having to listen to all four of them and in the depth of them in each one so let's move into lymphatics this week this is a very important conversation as a lot of folks don't know what lymphatics are and we haven't really spent a lot of time in medicine talking about them but they really are critical so let's define lymphatics you know roughly it's a plumbing system that follows a circulatory system throughout the body including the brain where it is called the glymphatics the function of the passively moving tubes is to transport fats around the body clear cellular debris, returning it to the liver and spleen, move fluid in and out of the tissue spaces to maintain fluid balance, transport, and help immune cells function. These are all very critical functions for metabolism, immune health, and detoxification that can be life-saving or, when disrupted, lead to chronic diseases of aging, including edema, hypertension, autoimmunity, and cardiovascular disease. Lymphatics maintain routes throughout the body to transport antigenic proteins or fragments from tissues to immune cells for learning and understanding. This process is very critical to have a solvent adaptive immune system. If lymphatic function is impaired, humans are predisposed to infection of locally affected tissues. It also appears that lymphatics are involved in the development of tolerance to self-tissue And the failure to suppress the immune response to these poorly cleared peripheral tissue antigens or protein structures can result in autoimmune disease. The key word related to lymphatics is edema, which is a state where fluid is in the tissue space instead of the vasculature in response to inflammation and is a clear sign of dysfunction and disease. Edema develops when the smallest blood vessels, like the capillaries and the venules, are filtering out more fluid than the lymph vessels can drain from the region in a timely fashion. This is basically classic plumbing 101, based entirely on pressure gradients to passive flow. Fluid homeostasis is dependent upon lymphatic vessel function in most tissues. By returning the waste material, extra fluid, and immune cells to the bloodstream, lymphatic vessels complete the tissue circulation of fluid and protein and maintain tissue and plasma volume balance. This is all very, very important. As with all plumbing issues, we must find out if the issue is a primary failure of the lymphatic flow or is it too much fluid production in the local tissue overloading the removal gradient. This understanding can help guide the best therapy there's an image link in the newsletter that you can look at to see how the lymphatic system works. You know, for example, let's take the kidneys. If you have kidney disease, this can lead to excessive fluid retention because the kidneys are not removing it from the body as urine. The excess fluid provides a pressure gradient leading to fluid leak into the tissue that rapidly overwhelms this lymphatic drainage system. Gravity sends the vast majority of the fluid into the legs and the lower half of the body when standing. Over time, the overloaded lymph also loses function, compounding the problem. The biggest issue that arises from this dilemma is that this fluid is filled with inflammatory molecules, refuse, and toxins. These molecules further inflame the local tissue, creating a loop of fluid retention, inflammatory molecules causing inflammation, more fluid retention, and on and on. When the lymph functions well, we have immune training and solvency, which is critical to overall health. And all of the protein fragments that are pushed into the lymph vessels eventually drain into a local lymph node. Here we think of our strep throat infection, leading to local set of swollen, swollen throat lymph nodes. These nodes have incredible capabilities. Do you remember the stories of people getting super swollen lymph nodes in the armpit of the COVID-19 vaccinated arm after vaccination? This was a sign that the spike protein fragments from COVID left the muscle injection site via a T or B cell through the lymph vessel migrating to the local lymph nodes of the armpit to exchange the genetic material, uh, the antigenic structure of the COVID spike protein information in preparation for memory B cell development. In the germinal center of these lymph nodes, the antigenic material, the protein fragment of the virus is exchanged and understood immunologically. One fate of this activity is critical. These B cells will go through divisions deeper into the germinal center of this lymph node. Think of rings of a tree moving closer to the center. With each division, the B cell adds a mutation to the B cell receptor, which mirrors the virus with minor alterations in anticipation that the virus will mutate as well in real life. This is how we stay ahead of the virus and its mutations, and it's critical to COVID death reductions from omicron as we are seeing the flip side to this argument is very problematical if the lymph system is inflamed and backed up it is likely that the fragments uh, of the inflamed tissue will be your self-tissue antigens and they can be presented to the immune system in the same way which will lead to autoimmunity and disease instead of antibody responses to invading pathogens This dysregulated lymphatics leads to systemic inflammation that we see all types of disease states, especially local infections at the site of fluid overload, which is usually the legs because the fluid pools there because of gravity. The fluid overload leads to warm, wet, immune dysregulated regions of the body that bacteria love to grow in. Think of a hot tub without chemicals, green and gross. Thus, it behooves us to avoid triggers of lymphatic dysfunction, the most important of which is inflammation. You know, areas of pooled stasis in the skin or tissues can lead to cellulitis and all kinds of different infections. Not good. That causes more tissue damage, more local tissue damage, leads to possibly presenting self-tissue again. These are things we don't like and don't want. So knowing what a lymphatic function is, basically a super highway of cleaning mechanisms tubes to take stuff away from the local area of destruction and take it to be cleaned by the liver and spleen and the heart uh, as the pump to move it around once it's in the bloodstream from the lymphatics then we really want to support this system so how do we support this system so number one getting regular massages to move the lymph fluid towards your heart is a great idea if you have struggles with lymph activity Number two, wear stockings if you have lower extremity edema. Number three, avoid foods that trigger inflammation, especially dairy or gluten if you have sensitivities to such. Four, make sure to take your medicines for heart disease and high blood pressure to reduce pressure gradients. Number five, use daily exercise and sauna therapy to enhance the removal of toxins through sweat. Number six, avoid inhaling or ingesting chemicals that could build up if your lymph system is compromised. Number seven, make sure that you are defecating regularly to remove toxins through stool. Number eight, consider the supplement N-acetylcysteine, C-Y-S-T-E-I-N-E, to enhance glutathione production, which is one of the major chemicals that's used to clear foreign agents in the body, basically detoxify them. And number nine, drink lots of water to flush the kidneys and clear toxins. So allowing your body to properly eliminate then giving you effective mechanisms to clear unwanted toxins that inevitably find their way into our bodies in our modern society that could potentially damage our cellular function is, is paramount. We want to get out and sweat, drink lots of water, have bowel movements daily by eating lots of fiber, cough and spit, and breathe our way to health. So, you know, using old terms <laughs> from the 12th century, we need to release the evil humors. They're bad for us. So really work on strengthening your lymphatic function through that nine-step potential process. So let's move on to section two. Exercise alters cancer risk. From Cifarelli, C-I-F-A-R-E-L-L-I et al. 2021, I have this quote. Exercise causes muscle to secrete proteins called myokines into our blood. And researchers from ECU's, Exercise Medicine Research Institute, have learned these myokines can suppress tumor growth and help actively fight cancer cells. A clinical trial saw obese prostate cancer patients undergo a regular exercise training for 12 weeks, giving blood samples before and after exercise program. Researchers then took the samples and applied them directly onto living prostate cancer cells. So... Couple this data to the knowledge that exercise increases glucose transporter 4 in the muscle, which increases glucose metabolism and utilization, which reduces obesity and insulin resistance, both of which are heavily associated with cancer risk. So if we look at this, exercise has incredible metabolic pathways from which to help us. Metabolic health through mitochondrial biogenesis, which helps us maintain systemic cellular health. Exercise helps us sleep more soundly and deeply providing for better hormonal control and reduce mental stress, which are independent risk factors for cancer. Need I say more? You know, essentially, just get out and exercise every chance you can. And exercise doesn't have to be vigorous. You know, it can be walking, lots, lots of distances. You think about, again, lymphatics. Walking is one of the greater ways to induce lymphatic flow. The muscles squeeze and that helps push lymphatics. So passive transport becomes a little bit active with movement. So these are very important. Massage does the same. So exercising, we all know, is critical to health. But now we have more and more data looking at it prevents, this can- prevents cancer. Section three, preventing food allergies. Without getting into the science this time, let's just do a quick little to-do list. One, mothers should eat a very healthy whole foods diet while pregnant to encourage the best quality gut flora to pass to her babe. Focus on high volumes of fiber and gut, uh, and gut microbiome promoting plants. Number two, deliver vaginally if possible. Number three, breast, breastfeed where possible. Number four, consider adding Bifidobacter infantis via the Avivo probiotic from the specific company to enhance HMO metabolism and immune gut tolerance. Five, introduce solids anywhere after four months of age assuring that egg peanut tree nut, shellfish and other possible allergenic foods are consumed before one year of age number six maximize maternal vitamins a and d zinc and magnesium intake for breast milk micronutrient solvency and infant intestinal health number seven avoid toxins that cause cellular and tissue damage number eight reduce the triggers of lymphatic damage as stated above in the to-do for lymphatics. Essentially, avoiding the antecedent triggers of autoimmunity and allergy is a much easier process than treating the disease. So work on all those processes as best you can to try and limit all of us ending up with some form of food intolerance or food allergy over time. So that completes this audio cast reading of the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter. I hope you enjoyed volume 11, issue 52, and volume 12, issue number two for this week. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon regarding COVID, which will be the next one upcoming. Also, stay tuned for a really interesting conversation with Dr. Rick Johnson. I just finished reading his book, Nature Wants Us to be Fat. It's quite incredible, quite deep, but man, is it going to be a fascinating conversation when he and I sit down uh, this coming week to discuss why the mechanistic reasons behind the human desire to hold on to calories. Why is, what, what, what's happening? Why is it happening? And then how is our current state of food ingestion through modern society processed foods and the wrong types of foods driving this persistence of uh, mechanisms that make us feel like we're always going to hibernation mode? So there's a lot to be unpacked here. It's going to be a fantastic conversation. I hope you tune into it. Uh, it'll be coming up in a week and a half with Dr. Rick Johnson. So let me leave you this week with the following statement. As always, hug those kids, and I appreciate your time. As always, the information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other health care professional, and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship.